Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so that you'll be better equipped to amplify your positive impact as a difference maker in any area of your life. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley. I am super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. So stay real as we uh, gather for another episode. Haley, it's always good. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so I'm really excited. We're going to talk about um, your mental health journey. Last week, we talked about mine a little bit. Um, so I'm really excited to chat with you about that. Um, but as we get into it, just a little bit of a disclaimer, we, we might discuss topics like suicide, um, some of these heavier topics. So if that is a, a, a sensitive topic for you or somewhere you just don't want to visit today, um, today's just not the day for it. Maybe this is the episode to skip out on. Um, and as well too, you know, we're, we're speaking from our own personal experiences. We are by no means psychiatrists, psychologists. We're just speaking from our own, own experiences. Uh, we're just going to be descriptive here, not prescriptive in any way. Um, but if this, this episode somehow maybe, um, you know, helps alleviate some of the, the stigma that surrounds mental health or encourages you to, to search help yourself, um, wonderful. Um, but we are not here to, to prescribe any kind of, of treatment. We're not experts. We're just talking about our own experiences here. Um, so yeah. So dad, why don't you maybe start and talk about your mental health journey and, and how it relates to being, you know, your authentic self here. And cause I think your mental health journey in general and your authentic journey, I think are, it's impossible to separate those two things. So what's your experience been with, with mental health and mental illness? Well, I, I, I've been trained as a therapist. And, and again, as you said, we're not acting in that capacity today, but I, I think from a leadership perspective, what I'm really talking about is a humanity perspective that we, yeah. I, we're embracing the totality of our humanity. Yeah. And whenever we categorize things or pathologize a part of ourself or discard a part of ourself, we miss an opportunity to see our full humanness, which is really what life is about for me. And it's, you know, it's been the central focus and core really of my work is to bring this sense of humanity and acceptance of the full spectrum of the human experience out in our work, uh, whether in organizations, in communities, in families, and just in our lives in general. So having said all that, uh, I mean, my journey started back with my father, and he struggled with, in those days, it was called manic depression. He had very severe mood swings. He's a very, very loving guy. I have, I, I actually got more, feel more connect, felt more connected to my dad. He was very nurturing than really than I did to my mom in my early years and uh, very nurturing, very caring, very understanding. He worked with uh, boys uh, during the war. He actually uh, uh, signed up for the second world war, uh, but he was, he was uh, rejected because of his eyesight and he stayed at home and worked with the kids uh, kids on the street in Calgary. So he's wonderful with kids. Uh, he was a scout, my, our scoutmaster and, <laughs> and very gentle, very loving, very encouraging. But he had this darker side and he struggled with uh, very severe mood swings. And I, I don't think I was really fully aware of it probably till I was in high school. 
Uh, mm. He had to take an early retirement from his job because he because of a depressive episode. He was hospitalized on several occasions. There was one occasion I remember coming home from school. He was an artist, kind of a closet artist. He never really fully allowed his gift to come out until uh, mm. until he was probably in his 60s and went back to university uh, to study art to give himself permission, which I think was a contributing factor to his mental illness. Nonetheless, uh, I remember coming home and he had poured gasoline on some of his artwork and was going to set the house on fire and was just really off the rails. Mm -hmm. And uh, I helped call and, and get him hospitalized. And we had him uh, uh, admitted to the hospital for his psychiatric help. Um, there was times that he, you know, he, he just went into a manic phase where he was just very inappropriate. And then he had these dark periods. And so it was really a part of my upbringing. And I, I felt this sense of ongoing activation, this ongoing sense of being afraid, um, mm. because I never quite knew when the next shoe was going to drop. And then my mom, as you know, uh, grandma struggled with uh, her rage mm. and some of her own abuse of, that she had been raised with and coming to grips with all of that. So a combination of the two very supportive, kind, caring parents, but I never really felt safe because I never knew when when the next shoe was going to drop. And, you know, it's very challenging to be raised in a family with uh, with mental health challenges because, you mm -hmm. it, the, you know, there's a whole range of of uh, consequences from it. But one of the things I learned from my dad, he used to journal um, and he his, his therapy was really his journal and he had. Uh, rows and rows of journals. And he actually, he took a course from a guy named Ira Progoff. Mm. And he, he learned to journal and he learned to make friends with his, his depressive side, particularly. And he had a name for his depression. And he would write a letter to his depression in his journal. And then he would be his depression and write a letter back to him. And these, these letters would go back and forth. And, you know, I, there was pages of journal writing that I found after he died. Hmm. But it was his way of really um, coming to grips with this and trying to in some way befriend it. Hmm. So that's kind of a, some backstory around mental, mental illness and mental health. I was going to ask you, like, you know, I guess maybe we'll, we'll talk about maybe writing first. And then I want to talk about being a parent too, but, um, like, cause like, you obviously are also a writer. Um, so I guess grandpa's connection to writing and your own connection to writing, what is it so powerful about writing, um, in terms of, of coping with, with mental health and finding your authentic self? And what is it that writing can offer that other means of, honestly, I'll call it therapy. Cause that's really what it is. Um, that, uh, you know, other types of therapy can't offer or talking to somebody just can't offer. What, what is it about writing that makes it so important and to you and, and also to grandpa? Well, it's, it, there's something about journaling that, um, I, I think it, what it is Haley is that it takes it out of, I, I've come to understand my own definition of mental illness is the inability to distinguish your thoughts from reality. Hmm. And so I'll, I'll tell you about my journey here in a moment, but what, what writing does is it takes you 
out of the experience and allows you to be a witness to the experience. Hmm. So that the, the, the challenge with mental health is that you get into the grips of it where you don't even know how depressed you are. You're so depressed that you don't even know how depressed you are. And then you get depressed about being depressed. And that's really what depression is when you start to judge it and you get in, in, you get enmeshed in it, just like anxiety, you get enmeshed in anxiety and you don't even know that you're anxious and you can't distinguish the thoughts of anxiety from the experience of being anxious. And so you, you, you become so engrossed in it that you become a part of it and it, it, it takes over your mind. And what writing does, similar to what therapy does, similar to what a confidant does, is when you find yourself talking it through, hmm. you can see yourself as a witness that it's, it's going on inside of you. In other words, I have learned having, and I'll, I'll share my own journey in, of depression here in a moment, but I've learned to use the language instead of saying I'm depressed, I'm having depressive thoughts right now. And it mm-hmm. honors the thoughts, but it doesn't, it, 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 it separates you from being enmeshed in it. And it's mm-hmm. a healing process to step back and observe. And then you begin to observe what is your relationship to the depression? What is your relationship to the anxiety or whatever mental health challenge that you might be going through, and you begin to see it from an objective eye. It's almost like a meditation. And so Mm. writing is one of the tools that helps you get it out of your, uh, out of your whole being, and into a part of your being. And then you can begin to work with it, as opposed to being engrossed by it. Now Mm. that that's, when you're engrossed in a clinical depression, um, sometimes you just absolutely can't do that. But the goal is to get to a point where you can begin to witness these darker aspects of yourself and actually get to a point of befriending them. And I'm not minimizing them. It's hell to go through this. But you begin to develop a friendly relationship with them. It's at the you know the Buddhist would say it's a meditation practice, or people who meditate would say it's a meditation practice. So you observe it without being owned by it. Hmm. What? Uh, so I guess before I ask you about your own experience, when you found all of those writings of Grandpa Harley's, I guess like understanding how important and meaningful it was to him to write about it. What was that experience like getting to know those deep, dark corners of your dad that maybe you didn't know before? What was that experience like going through those old letters and journals? Well, it's really interesting you would ask that um, because when I first started to go through my dad's journals, it was shortly after his death. Mm. And I was still in denial about my own propensity toward depression and Mm. mood swings. And, uh, you know, I just, I worked like a maniac. I, I was, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, very much into being a workaholic. I, I was a therapist at that time, practicing as a therapist when dad passed and we were going through these journals. And so I was looking at them as kind of a clinical, I was looking at them as kind of a clinical study. 
I didn't really connect with them until mm. I had to face my own depression. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we destroyed most of those journals because it was just dark. Hmm. Um, it was depressing. Um, I, 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 and I was so much in denial about my own mental illness in part because I was, you know, I was 30 years old when dad passed and I had, you know, lived my uh, teen, uh, teen years and twenties, I think quite an unacknowledged depress in a, in a depressive state hmm. uh, and was very, was quite burned out actually in my therapy practice because I had no real good solid sense of myself. Um, so I, I looked at it from a distance. I, 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 I looked at it sort of clinically Hmm. and critically hmm. and was I, I guess I had some compassion for dad but I never really allowed myself to to connect with it or to identify with it because I really those parts were yet un, unowned in myself hmm. have you gone back through your own writing from earlier on in your own life and, and reflected on it like has that been a important experience for you on like going back in your own writing? Well, it's interesting because I, 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 when I started to face my own depression uh, soon after dad's death, actually, um, and I started to appreciate what dad did. And I started to use the same process that my dad did. Hmm. And I can tell you that my own writing and writing about this darker side of myself and writing that I explore very much in my caring book when I wrote a book uh, with well with Hal's passing. As I got to as I got to become more um, aware of my own depressive nature and my own uh, healing, and I healed and began the healing journey of of recovering from that depressive side of me. I got more appreciative of it, and I would and part of writing about it was was part of that healing process. Hmm. So I guess maybe that's a good segue into your own journey. So I guess like, you know, when were you recognizing that you might have some moments of mental illness and, you know, were there moments that, you know, ch chapters in your life that were worse compared to others or what brought you in, um, into more positive areas of your life, things like that. What have been your anchors? Um, yeah. What's been your own experience with, with mental illness? Well, it was about probably six months after dad died. I had been struggling with burnout. Mm -hmm. And there's a very fine line between burnout and depression. Mm -hmm. And it's there, you know, clinically, they're, they're very hard to diagnose the distinction between the two. And I think they're just quite interrelated. So I was, you know, a workaholic. I was seeing sometimes I was had my own private practice at the time seeing, you know, sometimes up to 40 families a week. And uh, I had no sense of boundaries. And I, my life was just really unstable. And I think what triggered it was dad's dying. And about six months later, I just went into a very, very severe depressive state. And I, I stayed on the couch, I'm thinking about two weeks. Mm. And I just basically stayed in a, in a fetal position uh, the only thing that I would get up for is that I would I would feed it with, uh, you know, uh, really uh, awful food um, mm. that I, you know, I would just eat my way through it. Some people lose their appetite during depress during a depressive state. And I really actually I just uh, 
it was so much self-hatred that I just Mm -hmm. ate food to kind of cover it up Hmm. and to bury myself in self-pity and to, um, and to really, and I, I don't want to in any way portray that I was a victim here, but I, but because it, it, there was really something that kind of took over Hmm. and I got so suicide, I got very suicidal and, uh, Val, your mom, um, I, 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 well, I'm tr- trying to think at the time. No, I hadn't met your mom. She, she took me through another depressive episode later on. I'm confusing the two. But in this particular case, uh, I was just so depressed that I went out on the street. There was a highway uh, behind our home. And I went out on the street and I, I was about one step away from stepping in front of a black Kenworth oh. truck. I remember, I remember to this day, I'll, I'll always remember that truck, something inside of me. I didn't want to die, but mm. I didn't want to live. And it was a real horrible place. Mm. And I was a, kind of the only therapist in town that I trusted. And I, 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 I had referred many of my clients to a psychiatrist and I went to a psychiatrist and he diagnosed me at that time with the same illness that my dad had, hmm. um, that, uh, that I had, it was emerging into a, into, a, the, into a new, you know, a new, uh, description, which was bipolar, but he hmm. said that, you know, I'd be on lithium the rest of my life and that it would grow, it would get worse over time. And I really resisted. I didn't want to be like my dad. Hmm. And, uh, and it wasn't a responsible decision, but I just, I said, no, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to manage this. I'm going to, I'm going to overcome it. Hmm. And uh, I got into some addiction and, and it really became a, a, a problem with overeating and I would just stay up all night and eat. And so my moods got really, really unstable during this time. And it was a combination of a lot of instability. I'd been in, unstable in relationships and unstable hmm. in you know many areas in my life. And I really, I, I really needed... Uh, to be in, I, I probably could have used hospitalization and just really mm. being able to have a good diagnosis, uh, a good uh, psychiatric uh, help. But I resisted all that because I just was determined mm-hmm. not to be like my father. I did get into some therapy at that time. I drove, I drove up to uh, to Calgary. We lived in Lethbridge, and I drove up to Calgary and uh, went through a divorce. Uh, I went through a real, real, uh, just a relation, you know, just a real difficult time. It was a very dark time in my life. And about a year after that, I met your mom Mm -hmm. and she was a stabilizing force in my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, she took, you know, she just really loved me unconditionally, you know, you know how mom is (laughs) and really stabilized it. And I think, I think my kind of depression went into a bit of a remission at hmm. that stage for about five years until, uh, until she got pregnant with you hmm. and, and, uh, she needed to take her attention and focus on, you know, this baby that was growing in her. And she, you know, there's no possible way that she could have stabilized me and kept me afloat. Hmm. Um, and so what happened was that I went into another Shortly after your birth, I went into another real severe depression, and uh, it was just so wearing for your mom. And she made a statement. She, to this day, would not remember her saying this, but (laughs) something in me, after I had been on the couch again for several days and just not being able to function, she she came. And I'd I'd been to 
workshops and I'd been to therapy and I'd been, you know, I, I tried different things, but, um, and all of which had a residue of growth, but she came to me finally and just said, you know, Dave, I, I, I love you so much. I can't be around you when you're depressed. Hmm. It's just too hard on me. And she, she didn't leave me like hmm. leave the relationship, but she said, when you're in moods like this, I'm just going to take, I'm going to, you know, take our daughter and I'm going to just leave and just mm-hmm. not be around. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to find a way and to, to, to find a solution to this. And what I discovered was that, um, that I, uh, the more she was trying to help me, and this is why depression can really be a family illness mm-hmm. is that, and, the, and it is hell to live with someone who's depressed because when you're depressed, you want the whole world to be black so that you don't feel alone. And you want the whole world to come down to your level of darkness so that you can be dark with them. And mm-hmm. it's a terribly abusive. Uh, and it's not intentionally that way, but it's very, very difficult to live with a depressed person. Mm-hmm. And the more that, that the helper tries in a family tries to help a person with depression, my experience has been certainly my own experience is actually it gets worse because mm. it becomes a dynamic between you that you get a, an enabler and a helper and trying to help and mm-hmm. the other person just stays sick. And, by, by, and I was furious at the time, but it was a turning point for me. It was really a defining moment when, when uh, your mom said to me, you need to go and get help from, me. I can't help you with this. You need, you're, mm-hmm. you're on your own with this. And it was a huge risk for her because she didn't know if I was going to take my life or not. And it was at that point that I decided to go and really seek out some help. And, and I got into a recovery community mm-hmm. and uh, help, it got help with my addiction and my addictive, my addictive tendencies, particularly around food and how I was using food and started mm-hmm. to get some structure in my life, started to get a community in my life. And it's been, as you know, I've been in this recovery for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. And it's been very healing and very stabilizing. And so far, it's really responded and it's not only helped me with the addiction, but it's really helped me manage my moods. And one of the things that I have come to understand is that it's is that uh, the depression will, I think, always be with me, this propensity toward this depression and certainly the highs and the lows. Mm-hmm. But I, I have certain disciplines that I do each day that I attend to probably about five or six things that I do on a daily basis to keep mm-hmm. it stabilized. And one of the things that's happened in this, on this journey is that I've come to befriend this depressive side of me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it will always surface, for example, if I get, if I get too pleasing to, with other people, or I get work involved that I, that I'm not in my passion in my real sweet spot in my, in the love that I do, you know, the, the work that I'm called to do, if I get too caught up in, in responding and reacting to the demands of others and not following my heart, my depression will surface. It's, it's what I call my voice from the soul will tell mm-hmm. me, will remind me, Dave, you need to be more authentic. You need to say no to the things that are not really bringing you joy in life. Mm-hmm. And it's been a real actual guide to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, as, but it's a combination in, of an integral recovery process that's been very healing for me over the last really 25 years. 
Um, interesting with the saying no thing. Um, my, my principal, my boss at work has this really beautiful analogy where during a PD day a few weeks ago before school ended, she gave us 10 blocks and she said, you can only, these are, this, these are your energy cubes. This is all you get. <laughs> so that's it. You got to use them wisely. Um, and so she, she put out some different types of things for teacher specific things, you know, specific teacher things. And one of my colleagues actually kept two blocks to himself. And he said, these are for my family and myself. He's like, I refuse to give these final two blocks to this job. Cause it's just a job. Um, but it really helped for me to visualize you know, what can happen if you just keep giving to your job, to your work, not enough to yourself. And cause you only have a finite amount of energy before. And, and that's, you know, I think for everybody, not just for those struggling with mental illness, but you know, just your energy cubes, you know? Um, yeah. Well, what, are what, some, you're, yeah. what you're referring to there, Haley, is that we really need to attend to ourselves exactly, and attend to our yeah. soul. And, exactly. you know, I was told by a doctor once that he was actually referring to, um, diabetes but he said the key to a long and happy life is to get the diagnosed with a chronic life-threatening illness and have to take <laughs> care of it every day of your life it's and true. that's been true of this chronic uh, depression that i've that i've lived with yeah. is that i when i listen to it and and really honor those those as you said one of those things i do is this cube of energy yeah, um, I have yeah. to pay very close attention how much rest I'm getting, what I eat. There's certain foods that for me, and again, this is not prescriptive. You yeah. know, one depression, you know, my depression may not be similar to any other kind of depression. You know, it's a lot like cancer. You, It's not one size fits all. It's very unique for each person. And I just would encourage people to make sure if they're struggling with this, to find their own path that really works for them. Mm -hmm. And to honor that path and to really, and what I've learned is to really listen and, and treat it as a gift in my life. And I've learned this, that it, it is really here to help me. Mm -hmm. And so I've resisted this tendency to get depressed about being depressed. Because when you're depressed, <laughs> you think you're the only person that has this. But if I can see myself a bit distance from it, distant from it, and can see, okay, here, it's here to help me. It's here as a teacher, and what can it teach me? And that's it, it's really led me to, I think, being healthier probably than I've ever been in my life. Hmm. What are some other really important disciplines? Like, feel free, like, and also, like, you know, if you're not comfortable sharing all of them, if there, there's something that's private for you too, obviously, I res obviously respect that. But like, are there other, like, I know you mentioned food and things like that. And are there other really important disciplines that for you that you cannot compromise on those, those sort of those things that, you know, you must absolutely do every day um, to, to, to make sure you're your best self. Yeah, you bet. So getting rest, getting to sleep yep. on time, I can't afford to get overtired. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's too, it's too challenging for me is just to, to rest, uh, to have boundaries around my work. You yep. know, I can't, I can't work uh, 70, 80 hours a week. I've got to put clear boundaries around that. I have to pay very close attention again to my own energy level. And I think a big part of it is that I probably reach out every day to somebody in my, I have a really strong support mm -hmm. community where I, I have to do a check-in every morning and say, Hey, how's my inner state today? How am I doing today? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Am mm -hmm. I, you know, afraid? Um, and, and to share that with somebody every day and to, to know that I'm not alone and that I've got a community and I can't 
although Val's been lovely, you know, in terms of understanding what I'm going through, and I will certainly share some things with her, but she mm-hmm. can't be my primary, my primary support system. It's too as much. loving and caring as she is, I have to find a community outside of that. Otherwise, I just bring my dark side to the marriage and she gets all of my mess. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I find helpful is when my community gets my mess and then my, my marriage gets some of the, the better best. side of me. The, she gets the best side of me. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I'm not real with it. You know, oftentimes when I've got some distance from it, I say, you know, what? I really had a rough day this today and I processed it and this is what I processed so that mm-hmm. I'm kind of past dumping it on her and just uh, and just t- have expecting her to kind of pick up the pieces. Do you have any like one thing? Um, I, I a lot of students come to me with this, especially I think as, as the younger generation is more open about mental health. Um, because I think right now, which I think is a really good thing, but a lot of the the narratives that are, are out there about like, reach out if you need help, talk about it, right? Which I think are wonderful things. But I think what ends up happening is that a lot of times people are reaching out to people, like for example, students, I'll use that as an example, um, that one student might be having a mental health crisis uh, and they might be reaching out to another student who isn't emotionally equipped uh, or able to, or at capacity themselves to be able to support that person. Um, so what advice do you have for people who are living with people who have mental illness or who are friends or, or in their close community to be able to say, Hey, I want to recognize and validate your mental health or, or mental illness, but I can't be your entire support. Um, how, how, what kind of words of advice could you say to them so that they don't feel like a bad person or not supportive or, or, you know, to sort of relieve that kind of guilt when it's just too much for one person to support? Yeah. The best gift you can give anyone who's suffering from mental, a mental health challenge is your own strength. Mm. And I feel very strongly about that, that, that you can't fix someone else's depression. Um, you know, and, you know, are they getting the resources that they need? What you can do is offer, you know, do they, are they getting the professional resources that they need? Have they got a community that they need, you know, that they can be a part of? Um, and then to really resist that tendency to want to fix, you can't fix this stuff. What you can do is guide them to some resources and be a loving presence in their life but take care of yourself so that you can come from a place of strength. And it's horrible because there's a huge Mm -hmm. risk, especially when you're dealing with something like depression. Mm -hmm. How do we, you know, it's a risk, but you can't even to, you you can't ultimately stop someone from taking their own life. However, you'd probably need your own. So if you're living with mental illness or having really a close relationship with someone with mental illness, you probably need your own, a support system, your own community. Um, and that may well be a professional community as part of that, mm-hmm. just to say where, you know, what is my role and, uh, and, and make sure that, uh, that you, that you take good care of yourself because mental illness will suck the energy out of not just the person who's mentally challenged, but the person who, but the person who is living with mental illness hmm. that helped. I- yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, my boss, my principal, the one I, I mentioned earlier too, she talks about two different circles. You have your circle of concern and your circle of influence. Um, and those aren't always the same thing. Um, you can be worried about somebody and, and concerned about them, but you can't influence them. 
Um, and so it's recognizing, you know, what issue is in your circle of concern and what is in your circle of influence, because often they don't overlap. Um, and then the other thing that she always talks about too, is, is like, it's like passing a worry ball, um, and how people who are struggling with mental illness, they need to pass their worry balls off. And so it's okay to catch it as a support person, but you can't be holding on to everybody's worry ball, including your own. You have to find ways of passing off those worry balls or direct the person who wants to toss you their worry ball to toss it somewhere else. Um, and I, I find that that picture a really, a really easy metaphor to kind of like to, to, to imagine and visualize um, what that what that looks like. That's a that's say? a great that's a great image. That's a great yeah. image because you don't want to be taking on the pain of other mm -hmm. people. Um, mm -hmm. and holding on to it. And, and this is, I think, another, another discipline that I have in my own life is just a spiritual connection. So mm -hmm. that it, I mean, so that I can take that somehow or other and find a power greater than me, and turn mm -hmm. that pain, my own pain, or the pain of others that I might be taking on, uh, to take it and, and find some way to release it uh, mm -hmm. in a spiritual way. Um, so it's, yeah, there's, yeah, you don't want to be hanging on and it, it's to another person's, uh, pain ball or worry ball, as you say. And I, I do think the vision here is to appreciate our humanness and appreciate it. Yeah. And I think this is what I'd say in, in, uh, drawing this to conclusion today is that I've come to appreciate, this is a gift that yeah. I've been given. I could not do the work that I do today had I not gone through this darkness and had to work with it and had to integrate it into my life. So what I work, you know, when I work in the leadership development field, it's not theoretical, it's real, this sense of being an integrated human being. And, uh, and you, you, the goal here is to appreciate and value all the parts of ourselves instead of a pathologizing them and begin to see that each of these parts of ourself has a, has a contribution in our life. And is, mm -hmm. it is in fact a gift. And again, I don't want to minimize the hell that you go through, but uh, I hope that we've, we've yeah. uh, brought a level of compassion to this whole mental illness, uh, mental health uh, conversation. I hope that you'll reach out to, to, to certainly either of us to, uh, to get the support that you need. If you, if you're in need of this, if something got triggered today, where I'm certainly would offer mm -hmm. my support uh, to anybody who, uh, who may be uh, challenged right now, either if in a with a family member, a close friend or within yourself. And it's, it's really honestly, like, I know this sounds trite, but this is the best possible time to be struggling with a mental illness due to the sheer number of supports that are out there. Um, we had a little bit of a trauma in our, in our school, uh, a few months back. Um, and so I was, you know, frantically Googling resources for teenagers, for teachers, um, to be able to, to offer, you know, chat lines, phone lines, you know, online resources, online courses, um, and public health offers them, um, provincially and municipally, municipally and federally and, uh, nonprofits everywhere. So there are so many supports available for all kinds of mental illness, um, for people to search diagnoses, to search for those names, um, and for, for the, you know, to find a name for how they're feeling for people who aren't struggling with a mental illness, but just want somebody to chat to, there are so many resources available. Um, so we're, it's a really, we're, 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 a we're living in a fortunate time, um, that, you know, the world is recognizing the need for all of this. So it's pretty cool. You know, I so appreciate you saying that it, you, there are so many resources and you know, you're not alone. This is the message mm -hmm. that I would want to convey to all of our listeners. Yeah 
yeah. you're not alone out there. And, uh, you know, certainly be a part of our community, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, if you need some support at finding resources, uh, we certainly would be accessible to you. You betcha. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No, you know, that's the difficulty is, is getting it's, you know, mental illness is a, is a lonely journey, but it cannot be done alone. Exactly. We just need to, you know, hold each other up and hold each other, hold the space for each other as we uh, are on our own healing journeys. We just finished watching the the film version of the musical Dear Evan Hansen. Um, and I know, uh, I know you went and saw the musical a, a few years back, dad, but um, I really like the line because the whole, the whole story is all about uh, mental health and mental illness and you will be found. And I just feel like that's such a powerful <laughs> phrase um, just about, you know, finding community in in, you know, struggles. So, you know, Ram is interesting. You use that line up. Ram Das, the, the, the great spiritual teacher used to say that all we're doing is, is walking each other home. Oh, this, I love it. <laughs> this is really what, this is what it. we're really doing is that we're, we're walking each other home. And when, you know, what, what mental illness has always been from my experience is when I'm not connected to my home base, when I'm not connected mm-hmm. to my soul and who I am meant to be in the world, hmm. I will, you know, depression will raise her head and say, you know what, mm-hmm. uh, listen, pay attention. And this mm-hmm. is the, the best we're doing here. So yeah, absolutely. You will be found. Mm-hmm. What are you grateful for this week, dad? I was just going to ask you, you beat me to it. <laughs> I beat you to it. <laughs> well, I'm grateful again that you and I have this opportunity to explore these, uh, mm-hmm. these issues that often get hidden in our world. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful to be doing it with you. Yeah. And uh, I'm grateful that the next time we get to do an episode, we're going to be together. I'm going to be flying to Ottawa this weekend. And uh, I know you're getting married next week. Yeah. And I have the privilege to come and be a part of your whole celebration. And uh, I'm really grateful uh, as I anticipate that time with you. Me too. And uh, that there is, that, and I'm, you know, the other thing I would just say, I'm grateful that there's, uh, I'm going to say hope, but there, you know, there's a, there, there, there's an answer and there's a solution. No matter what you're going through, somebody else has gone through it. Someone else can shine a light on the way. And that uh, I'm grateful to know that I'm not alone anymore and that, uh, yeah. that I know that today and I want to extend that to others. So what are you grateful Absolutely. for? I echo all of that. Um, and I just, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing my community next week for the wedding, seeing all the people that I care about in one room together. I'm so excited about that. Um, and also too, while we're talking about realness, um, I've been stumbling on, uh, people talking about obviously the harm of social media is nothing new. Everyone talks about social media as sort of the antithesis of realness. Uh, but I stumbled on a new social media platform that I'm curious about, and I haven't had a chance to use it very much or, or explore it, but it's interesting that it, that there's this discourse and this, this challenge about what social media is, uh, and it's called be real which I think is actually perfect for this podcast. So I stumbled on it this week. I was like, I got to bring this up with my dad. Um, but the whole, the whole idea of it is, um, so this app will give you a two minute warning. You have to take a picture, a selfie and a picture of you looking out wherever you are. So it can't be curated. It can't be filtered. It can't be only posting the best parts of your life. It just has to be right here, right now. You just have to document it. Um, and everybody else has to post at the same time. All your friends and followers have to post at the exact same time. Uh, and so you end up getting just a little bit more of a slice of life. Uh, there's no filters, um, and all of that. And so it's just literally, what are you up to at that exact moment in time? And I think that's a, a really neat 
way to see that, that, the, that social media could be changing and, and, you know, that we're recognizing that the, the fake filtered version of reality that we see on social media is, uh, is not the only way forward and that there are people working to, to change it. So I think that's kind of cool. Well, that is inspiring. That yeah. is absolutely inspiring. And, you know, it's our contribution to this, uh, to this world too. This, you know, technology is a great tool and this is our message, isn't it? To stay real exactly. and to, uh, and that humanity and realness and compassion for each other. Let's make this a kinder world uh, that, you know, this is our way of bringing a little light to the darkness. And uh, so, exactly. yeah, let's, we're, we're doing our little part here. Exactly. <laughs> Take care and uh, stay real. <laughs> Absolutely.